Alright, well welcome back to another episode of the Duke Basketball Junkies. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Michael Eckstutt. And uh, our, my, my co-host Peter Rowe is uh, on a cruise ship for some reason this week. Who wants to cruise, right Devin? Oh, uh, yeah, he's on a cruise ship. He's like uh, has very inconsistent cell phone reception. I did hear that he was able to sort of watch bits and pieces of the uh, Duke Army game on board, but he is unable to, to podcast this week. So I called up uh, substitute guest host Devin Gordon, uh, journalist uh, extraordinaire from uh, New York City, and my old college roommate. How you doing, Devin? I'm good. How are you? Uh, doing great. I'm not on a I'm not on a cruise. I'm on dry land, um, but I'll try to do my best to be the cantankerous side of the podcast on Pete's behalf. Yeah, if you could yell at me a little bit, um, sure. You know, we can try not to interrupt each other as often as Peter and I do. Okay, but uh, yeah, no, it'd be great to hear uh, hear from someone who knows uh, even less about basketball than Peter. Uh, you know, give me give me the thoughts on basketball. So welcome, yeah, I welcome mean, no, 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 I. I know considerably less than Peter, yet I'm I'm right considerably more often, which is which is weird, right? You would think it wouldn't go that way. Yeah, being right is uh, is so important, right? Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. that's, that's what I'm, I'm always trying to be right about everything. Um, so speaking of being right, uh, I guess I guess for the for the episode we're gonna we're gonna delve into the Duke Army game uh, a little bit, and then uh, you're kind of our NBA guy, uh, so we're gonna survey what's been going on uh, with all the Dukies in the NBA uh, for the second part of the podcast. So uh, for those of you who uh, want to stick around for that, I think it'll be good. Uh, so things I was right about uh, that ever, you know, no kidding, no brainers, you know, uh, Zion Williamson, very, very good at basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a, there has been a tendency since that Kentucky game to, for sports reporters, sports writers, hot take artists to, to to do the whole, you know, I'm not one to go overboard on someone. All of those people are one to go overboard on someone. Um, we're all, we all go overboard on people, but I think that there is this um, just unavoidable obviousness that barring some kind of, you know, tragic injury, um, you know, any of the things that can derail a career for any number of reasons, leaving out some kind of terrible thing like that. This guy's a monster. Like it's just, it's, it's, this is, this is an NBA all-star and it's, it's obvious from two games. Right. I mean, I don't think that there's, I don't think that there's not only one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's anyone who follows basketball carefully. Who's, who's like, Let's tap the brakes here. No one's tapping the brakes. Yeah, the, the takes and the reactions, <clears throat> uh, they're, they're, people are not really holding back. <laughs> people are comparing him to, to everybody, uh, including LeBron. Uh, you know, I think it's just very clear this guy has maybe no, no real ceiling yeah. except for, you know, his jump shot. Uh, his jump shot's the only thing, but He's he's eighteen. Uh, he's 18. I, I've never seen I've never seen an athlete like this uh, may, in a Duke uniform for sure. And we've had some great athletes. Sure, sure. But let's uh, but you know this is you know that's the thing is that this that's the stuff that we we all knew 
we you can look at his body and be like, well, Jesus, I've never seen that before. Um, and we've all watched the highlight reel dunks, and I think that there was a certain backlash based upon, I don't know, real stuff, maybe just – a, a wish to nitpick that, yeah, 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 well, they, you know, it's great. He's 280, he can dunk from the foul line, but can he play basketball? Yeah, he can really play basketball. Like, that's, I think that's the thing that people who have been watching these two games so closely, um, that's why they're so convinced. That's why you and I are so convinced is it's not the dunks. Like, <clears throat> if you just look at, if you just look at last night, the first half, I mean, once I got five minutes into that half, I actually stopped it, rewinded it, and started taking notes because every single time he touched the ball, he was doing not just the right thing, but a plus thing. Every single time. And, I mean, in that first half, until he made, he made like, um, he tried to dribble through traffic on a transition thing and tried to dribble behind his back and he turned it over with like a minute left in the first half. And I yeah, wrote down, that was the first mistake he has made this entire half. And those plays were like, you know, the things that he was doing right, like well, I think one of those shots was a, one of the first nine was a dunk? One of them? I mean, yeah, he I think was, that was that he, that he got. It was cross-court looks repeat. I mean, he must have hit, he must have dribble penetrated and kicked to RJ for a wide open three four times in the first half. And RJ missed all of them. But, um, he was looking for him, and he hit him. And, you know, this is a thing that you said. We talked about this. This drove me crazy about last year's team. The passes hit him in his hands in his motion. They hit him on his hands in his motion. And that's like the ability to do all of that. I mean, yeah, was, I did not know he was going to be such a good passer. I, You know, I didn't know a lot about him, honestly. But, you know, just watching him play the exhibition games, watching him play these games, he, you're right. He plays. He he makes the right basketball play, but he also makes basketball players that uh, plays that other basketball players can't make. Not just because he's a better athlete, but because he has, you know, he knows how to use his athleticism. Um, there was one drive where two guys were in position to stop him, and if it was Grayson Allen, who's a really good athlete, you know, one of our best athletes over the last few years, Grayson might have gotten the shot up anyways, might have made it. Uh, might not have, you know, might have forced it, might have gotten a block, but he might have, you know, achieved more than the average player would have achieved running into a double team. Uh, but Zion, and it wasn't just his ability to leap over these guys, because he can't really just leap over guys. He leaped around them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you know, some Varishnikov level, like, stop jump and extended his left arm and, like, just laid it in like easily and was like, wait a second, how did he possibly position his body to get over there? You know, great athletes can't do that. Yeah. It was yeah. genius level use of his athleticism. Uh, it's my old favorite term, genius level everything. But this guy's really an athletic genius, not just an athletic freak. You combine those two things and you have the makings of a guy with, with really no, no ceiling. Uh, yeah, especially I mean, in college you, basketball, you know. When you, you see a guy later, when you see a guy go like, you know, five for five, six for six, seven for seven, and he's like, don't forget, this is his second college game, and he's not missing shots at all. Um, and 
you can look at that and think, oh, well, he got really hot. Like if we saw a jump shooter do that, you'd be like, wow, he really caught fire. The fact that he was five for five doesn't even speak to how amazing it was. There's a, the reason he was five for five is because they were all incredibly high percentage shots. And when he didn't have the incredibly high percentage shot, he didn't take it. He passed the ball. And, you know, all of those shots that he made, like he'll never miss more than two of those. They were like lay-ins and dunks. And every now and then, like later in the half and into the second half, he took some jumpers and was, you know, not as flawless with them. But, like, when he dribbles, which... By the way, I, 11 of, it was 11 of 14 from the field, and one of his shots was a heave at the end of the first half. <laughs> so he's really 11 of 13. So, you know, which, it's not like he missed which, a lot of shots in the second half. Um, I mean, think about missing, like, five shots in your first two games in your entire college career. But, like, you know, the handle, I didn't expect him to have a handle. I didn't expect him to get the ball and dribble around the top of the arc looking at the offense to sh- just to shift the defense. Like, you could tell that was the most amazing thing was the amount of time he was always looking cross-court. He was always trying to shift the defense's balance. And one time in particular that he did it, he got the ball at the top of the three-point arc. I think this was pretty early in the game, maybe four or five minutes in. He just dribbled around the top of the arc, and R.J. Barrett already knew what he was doing. He was slipping behind two people. And the defense was shuffling in the wrong direction. And as soon as RJ got behind the second guy, he alleyed it, and it was an easy dunk. That's 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 he's supposed to be on the receiving end of that dunk, not setting up that play and making it happen. And the fact that he can do both ends of that right now in his second college game, like it's just that's that's why people are are beginning to let themselves let the LeBron name come out of their mouths because we haven't seen that kind of package of you know you know other planet physique and basketball IQ and also just pure affection for playing the bas- playing game like can we talk about that for a minute the guy's on the floor four times a half like it's <laughs> and he yeah, loves smiling, it. whooping it up <laughs> he like is having so much lover, fun he loves his teammates I, it, I really couldn't ask for anything better. Uh, not, not just from him, the other guys too. I mean, I, you know, the game itself, uh, overall, I think it was probably a little bit of a poor showing in terms of the, the score of the, you know, on the scoreboard, mm-hmm. uh, most of the game than people expected. Uh, Duke was a 40 point favorite going into this game. And it turns out Army. Yeah, we probably shouldn't have been, right? Like, yeah, Army, Army is good. Army's experience, they shoot well, they space they the floor well. well. They actually yeah. play very good fundamental defense. They they showed the they showed the Army coach before the game with like his notes on the on the the bulletin board. Um and I was like, ha ha ha, good luck, dude. But you know what? They executed super well. They executed well. their plan, and, yeah. Oh yeah. And well and they shot well. Mm-hmm. You know, they were shooting almost fifty percent from three at the half and they were they weren't just taking they were getting good looks, but uh, they were some of them were a step or two behind the three-point arc, which again spaces the floor well. They backdoor cut well. Uh, so hats off the army. Uh, I guess I would I would ask Peter. Peter would be asking me, "Oh no, is our defense not going to be that great again because we gave up almost we gave up 42 points in the first half?" The army, even though they're well coached, they're not they're not a top flight ACC team. Uh, right. <clears throat> uh, did you want to take a? I, I have some thoughts on that. Uh, 
Well, I mean, you know, what, what was my first instinct as you were asking the question was, it doesn't really matter if you score 140 points a game. Like, if they can't sure. stop you ever, um, you know, it, it, it ceases to be a problem. Um, or at least it's only a problem if your defense is catastrophic. And I see no signs that the defense is catastrophic. I think we played a team that was, like you said, experienced, well-coached, shot well, executed their plan, did a really good job, kept their composure, and, by the way, we, you know, beat them handily. Um, So I just don't see, particularly for a team full of freshmen, predominantly, um, that you can – that you can – Get freaked out by that at this point. Yeah. I mean, Jesus. I mean, we, I'm not we just live, you know, alarmed. like I'm not too I mean, alarmed, but I, I do think there's a style. Of, there's a style of defense that, that I've noticed the last few years. It's a tendency that we tend to overpressure, overcommit yes. off the ball, and leave three-point shooters uncovered. Uh, in the NBA, it's something you can't do. You just yeah. can't leave certain guys sitting on yeah. that 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 sideline three. Uh, and I noticed that Zion was doing it. I noticed a bunch of the guys were doing it. Javin yep. does it all the time. Uh, <clears throat> I think in, in today's game, you know, if you're playing a team with any three-point shooting prowess, you just kind of can't do it. And I think it's just sort of a strategic mistake that we've been making, not every time down court, but too often um, over the last few years. And I, I see it seeping into this team as well. And I, I can't help but think it's, it's, a, it's the coaching issue. More than a player issue, we had issues last year on individual players not not sort of understanding basic team defensive concepts. And this year, I, I don't see those problems yet. But I do think I don't think we need to be helping so frequently, so consistently, so predictably off away from the ball and leaving guys yeah. open. Um, yeah. Because look, we have really good athletes; they can play defense. Um, even if it is a mismatch, uh, you know, which is the bigger sin, leaving a wide-open three or letting a guy sort of have a favorable matchup, uh, you know, in the post. I like the, the switches, you know, when – or the, the help when somebody's beaten off the dribble. You don't want to let someone have an open layup. But I'm talking about just sort of this tendency uh, before anyone's beat to just help and double and try to trap. Um, I, I noticed that. I don't know if you if you noticed that yet this season, but in the Army game, I thought it was pretty apparent because uh, these guys shouldn't be, shouldn't have such wide open looks unless we are sort of, in the football analogy, be blitzing too much yeah. and um, allowing people to take advantage of, uh, you know, numbers. <clears throat> well, I mean, to stick with the football analogy, I'm, I want to defend this approach, even though I, it makes me nervous, especially against really good three-point shooting teams, as you point out. I think the the football analogy here is a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, right, where they're predicated on being an offensive juggernaut in an offensive era, and their defense is opportunistic, right? They're they're going to let you score points because they know they can outscore you. The way they're going to beat you ultimately is that is is every now and then they'll ball hawk and make mistakes, and you'll make mistakes, and then they'll capitalize on that and transition, you know, whatever. Follow the analogy to its logical conclusion. And I think that is sort of the Duke strategy here. It was sort of the Duke strategy last year. The problem was they weren't an efficient efficient enough offense to do that, and they were a really bad defense to the point where they couldn't recover when they missed. 
this defense, and I don't want to keep harping back on Zion, but the guy can cover so much ground on the court that it's hard not to. I mean, it's another amazing thing about him. Is that oh, my he, gosh. We go back, back to talking about – we didn't talk about his six block shots. Six block shots. His arms are in every lane. He is constantly swatting the ball for the, from people. That's why he's on the floor so much. He's, I mean, I felt like every time he was guarding anyone, he was trying to swipe the ball away. And a lot of the time, he wasn't doing it. And maybe you could say he was overplaying, but boy, he was making those ball handlers nervous. Like it was, yeah. it was so disruptive the way he was able to cover so much ground. And then if he missed, he'll just go block the shot. Like it's, it's, it, he can cover so many mistakes that I think there is a logic to, to this particular team being as over-aggressive as they are, even if it means they're going to give up some open threes. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah, I'm okay with the with – It'll probably cost them a game. Yeah, selective think- aggression is, is okay. Uh, you know, aggression works when their team doesn't necessarily expect it, so you got to mix yeah. it up. Uh, I guess it's, it's all a balance, you know. Uh, I think one thing that sort of also hurts uh, in terms of, you know, look, I guess here's the question for you, and I'd ask Pete the same thing. Zion Williams is, is, is protecting the rim, and I guess he's blocking shots all over the court, but he's capable of blocking six shots in a game. And uh, Is there any reason that, that Marcus Bolden needs to be on the court? Uh, you know, uh, I, I was wondering. I was wondering how quickly we'd get to Marcus Bolden. Um <laughs> I mean, because as long as I'm, as if I'm playing the role of Pete, I guess this is a little bit later than expected, probably. Um, no, the answer is no. I, I don't know. I think the Mark West Bolden thing will be over soon, unless, you know. Um, well, he only played 13 minutes yesterday, so I guess he wasn't on the court that much, even though he started. Maybe there was a promise made. Maybe there's an understanding. That, but, but frankly, when he's in the game, he just clogs up the paint on offense. Yeah. On defense, he's slow. He's he's yeah. just he's just slow. He occasionally is in the right position and can block a shot. Absolutely, you know he's not the worst rebounder, but he's also not a great rebounder. Uh, and he's quite often out of position. And if you do play a four out of five out team and there's they're switching, he's going to have a difficult time defending the three. Uh, so I think on both ends of the court, we just you know when Jack White came into the game for him, the team just looked a lot better. Shouldn't Jack uh, White start? Absolutely. I mean, I was just going to say that. I mean, our death lineup is the one with Jack White, right? Like that's, and when Jack White plays like he played yesterday and played against Kentucky, I I really don't see how you beat us because he does all of the things that, that the rest of the guys, you know, he sets the pick, he hits the wide open three, he gets the rebound, he makes the right defensive play. He's, Exactly what you need. It, like the, honestly, the mapping of the Golden State Warriors sort of death lineup to this one is a little fascinating, except in the sense that Zion Williamson can be pretty much any of them, um, except Steph and Clay, I guess. But like, I kept thinking as you we were talking about the defense, how much Zion can can play like Draymond Green does yeah, Zion for the a lot Warriors. Like Draymond, yeah, he, he looks a, a lot, lot like him. Draymond. Sure. And he can just, you know, he can guard anyone on the floor. He can just go block a shot if you need him to. He is so smart. He's always sneaking up on people. He's he's screaming in people's faces. Sure. Well, what Golden it, State does, and I know, I know you know this, is, is they space the floor better than anyone's ever spaced the floor in the history of basketball because everybody can shoot. When they do have a big man on the court, 
He's there to set screens on the perimeter. He's there he's there to set screens and roll to the basket uh or set screens and float out and pop a three. Uh, there you know, Draymond plays their fives in the in their yeah. lineup of death and that's why that's that's what I'm thinking about. Zion should be playing the five. But Jack White when he's on the court, he spaces the floor. You have you can't leave him. You stick him twenty three feet from the basket, stationary, you know, at or setting a screen on the on the perimeter and you know, the lane opens up, there's no one clogging the lane. When Javin's in there, when Mark Wace is in there, you know, it, the lane's more cluttered and it's more difficult. We saw RJ Barrett struggling to, to finish yes. yesterday. But yes. I think I think he just had an off day. Yeah, he you had know, a pretty crappy I mean, game, but day, I think you're right. His off day is apparently, you know, 23 points on 9 of 19 shooting against the team he should do better against, right? But that might be one of the worst games we'll see him play. I don't know. But I think part of the reason he was struggling and part of the reason Zion had to jump over two guys in order to finish is because Javin and Marquise's guys they didn't have to defend. They yep. they could flew it off or if they were in the lane, they were in the way. Uh you know, so that's 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 the issue I'm seeing. And it's not a we're winning we we're we're killing teams so far, right? Yeah. But um this you is, know, this we is, want this know, team to be a like an all time all time great college basketball team and I think there's a chance it could be. I think it's I think it's with Jack White on the court, Alex O'Connell on the court, more than a Javin, more than a Bolden, maybe against certain teams to match up, but uh, you know that, yeah, the, that's what the, I'd like to see. The weird thing to me is that is that Bolden, you know, right now, you know, obviously it's lineup determinative, but but he's like the fifth guy on the team, and I think he should be the ace, right? Like I would, yeah, I like any lineup that has Jack White on the floor over him. Alex O'Connell next over him. I like Javid more than him. I mean, that's the thing that I'm a little surprised about is, is okay, well, I see why Javid. Javid played 12 why, minutes and Bolden played 13. So yeah, but why is Javid not, not, not starting? Like, why? I mean, like, to me, Bolden is pretty clearly less effective and less and, and a worse fit for this lineup than Javid. Like, I'm, I'm a little surprised. And they play the same amount of minutes. So why is he even Like my, my guess is Bolden came back, promises certain levels of commitment were made. Maybe not like an explicit promise, but they probably feel committed to give it give it a shot. Right. With him yeah. in the lineup, I also don't think the Duke coaching staff is fully bought in on sort of modern modern basketball. Exactly. I mean, the college game is different than the NBA game. There is longer on the shot clock. It's, it's not, you know, not all teams play this type of four-out, five-out offense. Uh, but Army did, and it was really, I think, useful probably for them to see. When they go back and review that tape, they're going to see what we saw. You know, and, you know, there's a reason Bolden only played 13 minutes last night. And, by the way, at zero points. But he did have three assists, three rebounds, and a couple of blocks. So yeah, by the it way. It wasn't I, like he played awful. He wasn't but, awful. I, I, I yeah, want to catch that a little bit. I, I, I'm worried that we're sound like his role in the court. Yeah, it's his role in the court. It's it's the the way the game might be played by this team versus how it has to be played with him on the court. Golden is, is, is like so many big men we see right now. You know, it's it's almost like, you know, he's obviously not Jaleel Okafor. Jaleel Okafor is the classic example of this. Is you know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, a guy who plays like Marquez Bolden would be a lot more valuable and a lot more successful. But right now, the way the game is played, 
he's an impediment to a team like Duke. He 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 can contribute certainly. He can block shots and be a difference maker that way. He's he's a surprisingly good passer. I didn't think that he would be. His defense can come and go. He does certain things very well. Anything that requires him to be athletic, he doesn't do so well. But the team's better with him off the court. It just is. It just it, it just is. He did attempt a three pointer. <sighs> yeah, he did I, throw I mean, one up, and and I think that's sort of a nod towards the way things sort of have to go. Like, like his role in offense should really be setting screens, rolling hard, and mm-hmm. or you know if he could hit corner threes, that would be. That'd be nice, but yeah, you know, not I don't think, I don't think he's ready point. for that. But may, he probably knows he needs to do that at the next level if he's ever got a, got a shot. Yeah, um, not to belabor the Javid point, but the things that you just described, I just consider him to be much better at all three of them. So why isn't he playing? You know, I don't think Javid's as good as you think he is. Uh, no, I, I just think was. those particular skills. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. think those particular skills. I think you know, one for one, if you were going to take Marquez Bolden. I would take him. I would take Bolden first, just in a vacuum. But I think on this particular team, the skills that Javid brings are just more useful. And and but honestly, I'd rather have Jack White and Alex O'Connell on the floor than either of them. So you know, it's other words, you know, I I don't really understand who or what Jordan Goldwire is. Um, it's interesting that you say that because I'm thinking Jordan Goldwire belongs in the court a lot more. A lot he may. Of I just and I wasn't because I we wasn't can go small. That. Yeah. I wasn't saying that as a knock. I just, I just, yeah, I you know, I haven't seen him anywhere near enough to to understand what he is. But I'm willing to look at anybody uh, who's not Marquez Bolden. And it's, I don't want that to sound mean. I just, it's just you, you can look at two games of this team and be like, okay, that that's the guy that shouldn't be in this mix. It just is. We just don't. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't fit super well um, with this team and what it could be. And what I, you know. They are, they are really, like, they should pace in space, essentially. Uh, and they, they should, they should run. They should push the pace. I, I wonder if people were watching this game and thinking, oh my gosh, Duke's shooting too many threes or shooting too early in the shot clock. Uh, and me and you were probably watching and being like, oh, this is great. We're, we're going to score a lot of points. We're going to really push the pace. It's going to be so many possessions. Uh, and the threes, these open threes from these guys, even if they're not the greatest three-point shooters, are good shots. Yeah. Uh, I know Pete kind of struggled, and Pete represents kind of like uh, – Pete understands what's going on in today's basketball, but using sort of uh, an old understanding. Like I five years ago, I thought Jaleel Okafor was going to be a really great NBA player, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the game has changed. So I've been forced to sort of realize, you know, and it's been painful you know, as an Okafor fan to see what's happened, and I guess we can get into the NBA now, but uh, the... Well, can we just, we should talk about R.J. Barrett and, and yeah, Cam sure. Reddish a little bit, just because it's kind of funny how, how we just right past them, because... Yeah, Cam Reddish just hit seven three-pointers, right? He set a freshman Duke, a Duke freshman record for three-pointers in a game, and no one noticed. I mean, it was, it, it, he's a Splendid shooter. I mean, gee whiz, what a sh- what a stroke he's got on him, and he can do a lot of things on the court. And so there's a reason you know, he's going to be a top five NBA. Yeah, in the top, you know, third. I mean, his, his his those three pointers. Oh my gosh, I'm I thought he was I, he was just like a you know that was the first game that I really focused on him at all. I didn't. I just kind of missed him in the first game, uh, the Kentucky game, and this game <clears throat> I was watching for him too, and. 
so it was the first time I really watched him, but after about four or five shots, I just assumed the threes were all going in. I mean, his, he is a pure, pure Clay Thompson F three point shooter. Holy cow. And uh, it, he's supposed to have a really good stroke. I don't think he's supposed to have that good a stroke, but he is supposed just, to be a really good shooter and a volume scorer. Um, you know, and we he, we barely noticed him. I mean, it was – and R.J. Barrett, I actually wrote down, you think Barrett is having a terrible game, and then you look up, and with 13 minutes left, he's already got 17 points. Yeah. Like, I mean, how many did he end with? He, I thought he had a straight-up bad game. He turned the ball over a lot. His you shot, know what? A couple of those travel shot. calls were, were quick whistles. You know, I slowed one or two of them down, and, and he did shuffle his feet on 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 one on one of them for sure. The other he one, he really, the other one was a carry. He had a he had a carry. He had a call a carry. Away. It's like like yeah. he, just had a, he had a bad game. He had a bad game. His shot was terrible. Airballed one. You could tell he was frustrated. It was a bad game. He also he tried scored. to go behind his back, and this is something he normally does. But uh, yeah, he, he had he had a bunch of turnovers that were unforced errors. Um, and how many did he end with? What twenty five? Twenty three? Yeah, he didn't have any turnover. He only had five turnovers. I mean, he had three or four early ones, and they cut down on that. Uh, he had 23 on 9 19. Reddish had 25. Zion had 27. Uh, that was all their scoring for the most part. You know, Jack White had a, had a couple of threes, and uh, Tyus had a couple of threes. Tyus Jones is two for two for three. And uh, I mean, Tyus Jones is a tough Trey Jones. Trey Jones. Trey Jones is the other one who just. You know, floating under the radar, floating under the radar, just you know, going up against Kentucky in his first college game on national television and has seven assists and zero turnovers and nobody's talking about him. And it, you know, it's a testament to how transcendently mesmerizing Zion Williamson is that these three players, these are really good college basketball players. Okay. Um, I mean, and they're playing really well and. I was I was having a hard time watching anything but Zion. It's um, I think we should we should get to the NBA because that's where he's going to be pretty soon, right? Um, <laughs> yes, unfortunately, he's probably not staying more than one year. I think I think I think I would I think I would encourage him to to, to test the waters. Are these the three best freshmen we've ever had at Duke as freshmen. I'm, I'm not going to put Cam Reddish there yet. I'm I'm I'm. Pretty sold on R.J. Barrett in part because if you can have that bad a game and score 23 points, well, Jesus. Um, and he can do everything on a basketball court. Obviously, his shot is a little bit suspect. We kind of knew that going in, that it would kind of come and go. But again, 18 years old. Um, I mean, if I, if I had to nitpick something with Zion, I think his handle is a little wild, right? Like sometimes, like, right? Like, I mean. A little loose. Yeah, a little, little loose. loose. Um, so, I guess the question for you is that uh, we just did our top 15 freshman years yeah. at Duke ever. Uh, I kind of left Kyrie and up and ran off my list. And, you know, Kyrie obviously is up there if he's on the list. Uh, is there anyone, you know, who, who would you have number one? Give me a quick answer. Out of these Zion. guys, Zion, number one. Number yeah. two, RJ? Out of all guys, guess, or you, mean, you mean Duke freshman overall, ever? Ever yeah, on a yeah. pure talent perspective? No, just the, what you how you what you think these guys will achieve on the court versus what those guys achieved on the court uh, as your freshman. I don't know. I mean, I think it's 
oh, as Duke freshman. All right, well, now I'm going to take Kyrie out of it. I mean, you know, right? You know, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I think that these guys as freshmen will probably, yeah, I think they'll probably end up doing more. Yeah. Peter Bagley Bagley and Jabari Parker is his two most accomplished those seasons. uh, Oh, well, yeah, then easily. I definitely think so. I mean, I think it's, I think it's maybe a little bit more entertaining a question to ask if these are the two best freshmen just on a pure talent basis that we've ever had. Um, And I think, I think Zion is, Um, I might, you know, I think Grant Hill's pretty high up there. I think Kyrie's pretty high up there. I think Jason Datum is pretty high up there. Uh, so I'm, I'm not ready to say R.J. Barrett yet. Yeah. Um, those, you know, those are some pretty incredible players. Um, yeah. And Elton. But, and, Elton. And, and Elton. And Elton. Um, but I, I'm, I'm pretty close to, you know, probably him and Grant Hill at this point, right? I mean, you know, we don't want to Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, speaking of Elton, Elton Brand becomes a yeah. GM of the 76ers and – just yesterday or two days ago, that the news broke that the Sixers uh, made a blockbuster trade. Uh, who knows who's making the decision in Philadelphia for real? But uh, give Elton Brand credit; he uh, he pulled off a blockbuster for Jimmy Butler. What do you think of Elton? Uh, you know, he's a player a couple years ago, just retired. He spends one year in the G League as a GM, and he's uh, front and center for the Sixers uh, as a figurehead. What? Give thought. I mean. I think it's pretty impressive. I mean, you mean on this trade or just him getting there so quickly? I guess him getting there and uh, along with, you know, it's a lot of Duke presence in, in, in front offices. Danny Ferry yeah. was GM for, yeah. for a long time. Uh, Trajan Langdon, who, you know, played with Elton Brand. Um, there was reports that, you know, he's like one of the top guys in the Nets front office now. They, they have a strong GM. Uh so it's just it's pretty cool to see guys that we went to college with, <laughs> uh, assuming serious serious responsibility in NBA front offices. It sort of speaks to the Duke the Duke power structure, you know, the across across the landscape of basketball. Uh, you know, what's it going to be like ten twenty years from now when these guys become Hall of Famers and important guys post career. Like it's starting to uh, to really add up. Uh, and Elton Brand, Elton Brand is just like a really, really good uh, kind of exemplar of uh, the kind of athlete we. I think we we, tr- we try to get now at Duke that we didn't used to get as often. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was thinking about this yesterday about the you know the the generational rivalry between Carolina and Duke and and how. In the NBA, at least, it's 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 not even close anymore, right? Like Duke Duke has 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 won that fight, um, both you know well, across current. the league and currently. But 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 you know, generationally, why I think that's interesting is because you think about why Carolina had that advantage for so long. It was it was a big part of it was Michael Jordan, right? The the presence of Michael Jordan as a Carolina guy was generationally significant for Carolina in terms of its recruiting and national profile, right? And that has clearly, because it's we're now in a different generation, that's gone, right? The fact that Michael Jordan went to Carolina is not irrelevant, but it doesn't 
really matter anymore. Like it's, it's, you can't build a recruiting pitch around that anymore and, and expect it to work. But now Duke has had what, like a decade or more of just this gushing pipeline of NBA talent, not just in the league, but now in the front offices. And they all come back every summer. They're all there. You go to the gym and a bunch of them are there every summer. And I keep thinking about how that is just going to continue bearing fruit for years and years and years and years. This is the way the Krzyzewski DNA goes past his death or retirement, right, is all of these guys are baked in now. This is He's managed to make Cameron and Durham this sort of, like, you know, Jerusalem of, of basketball that everybody comes back to. <laughs> and like and it's, it's, you know, Zion. that's how he's going to die on, you know, and it's, and, and that's a really, really big deal, right? Like that kind of, you know, they call it the brotherhood, this whole thing, but holy cow. I mean, it's a real, I mean, just think about it. If you're 18 years old and you walk, you will walk into that. We'd be kidding ourselves if we didn't think that was a big part of why we got all three of these guys, Right. I mean, it must be pretty powerful. Like, oh, these guys go into the league after one year in college, and maybe direct in three or four years uh, with the way things are shaping up. Uh, but at least for now, they have to go. You go one, you go to college for one year, and you get you're in a fraternity. Yeah. And like that word brotherhood, uh, it really does borrow from sort of this fraternal language. And we were both in a fraternity together at Duke, and so it sort of rings powerful to us, I think. Even though you know, maybe maybe not both of us were, were like the strongest uh, fraternity brothers. Uh, the the something about like uh, going in the league and having fifty friends, instant instant support, right? Right. Because um, you know you know somebody on every team or in some every front office because they have a Duke connection. Yeah. Uh, or a Kentucky connection, frankly, for those guys. Cause they have and not just, not just, you know, not just anyone, you know, like, you know, oh, yeah, I know the, guys, guys, yeah. the, the, the GM, <laughs> you know, this team, you know, the superstar over at this team. And it's, that's a, that's a very, very powerful network. It's uh, got to be more, really, more valuable than sort of the $80,000 that Arizona or University of Washington can give somebody, you can give someone sort of a network for, for NBA life. Uh, I think, I think front offices are friendly anyways. It's not like people come into the cold NBA anymore and get like cold shouldered, uh, completely by, you know, I think the player, you know, the players association probably is its own brotherhood in general in the NBA, you know, um, you know, excluding guys like Jimmy Butler, but (laughs) the, it, it must be powerful to have this extra bond and connection. When I go to summer league, and I see, I see, I saw Quinn Cook before last season, before he was on an NBA roster, you know, palling around with all the Duke guys and other guys he, he saw around around the thing. And I thought, oh, good, I'm glad Quinn Cook's not fighting this struggle all by himself. You know, yeah. he's got company. And when I look at, you know, and Matt Jones probably isn't going to make the league, but you know, he's on the Sacramento Kings uh, Stockton G League team. And it makes me feel good to know that there's guys on the Sacramento Kings that, that he played college basketball with, you know, Harry Giles and Bagley are there. And, you know, half hour away, Quinn Cook's playing for Golden State. And these guys, I don't know if they're all 
best friends, but there must be some comfort in that level of uh, camaraderie yeah. and support, that kind of stuff. So yeah, and I, I think, think when you're it, it bodes well. I like what you said about it going past Shostakovich's tenure. Uh, the infrastructure is set for whoever the next coach is to be able to take advantage of that as well. Yeah, it's all it's it's, and that's what come on, that's a real thing for. You know, I, I think it was interesting when you said for the rival colleges and all these, you know, sort of under-the-table dealings that, that, you know, we're hearing about using to lure players to big programs. And, look, I don't want to be naive about this. I don't want to pretend that, that, that Duke is completely clean in all of this. I think that everybody, there's a lot of stuff that goes on at this point that everybody's just like, yeah, it's all, probably you know, not. Like, it's, we, we it's like know. cycling or something like that. The point is more important than that. The reason why there's still a reason why Duke is the one they're choosing in the end, and I think that something like this is a big part of it because the players the who really, yeah, it's it's the, you know it's it's the skeleton key to the absolute biggest highest level there is, and the players who really truly want to get there see that when they look at Duke and see that you know they're the ones who have the sort of ambitious wisdom to see the see beyond the short-sighted $100,000 free ride that you can get to go to Arizona and be coached by Sean Miller, or you can not do that and set yourself up in like the sort of elite luxury class forever. Which are you going to choose? Well, the smart players, the ones who really have their eyes on the prize, are going to choose the latter. And that's Zion. That's RJ. These guys who are not trying to hit the short score, they want to go to the Hall of Fame. And I think that that's – Duke has, has sort of built itself as the place to go if you want that, right? And and Kentucky, too. I don't want to take anything away from, from Kentucky because, um, you know, five years ago we would have been talking about Calipari in this regard and in many ways still are. Yeah, still um, So, you know, it's it's the good programs are doing this and it's, you know um, – I think Bill Self is doing a version of it at Kansas, right? I mean, they're churning out some pretty incredible players on a regular basis there. Yeah, and Arizona's done a nice job, too. I mean, despite sort of the, the implications of these stories, who knows? But, uh, you know, I'm in Vegas, and I was talking to someone about UNLV and how it was in the heyday. Uh, in UNLV, they were fantastic. When Tarkanian was the coach, they had incredible alumnus in the NBA. Uh, different era, you know, and they went through a series of coaches that didn't all work out. Lon Kruger was a great coach for them, but, you know, they had some, some real, some real losers in there. And they, you know, Sean Marion went to the, went to the UNLV. They, they have like scattered alumnus in the NBA, but ultimately that program is gone. It's not what it was. It may never be again. And, you know, I've been thinking about the Duke program and where it goes, and we've talked about who's going to be the next coach on this podcast a lot, and it seems as if there isn't going to be a next coach anytime too soon uh, mm-hmm. in the next one or two years like we thought perhaps a year or two ago when Krzyzewski had some health issues. You know, Capel leaving, I think, sort of signaled that. Um, but I do feel some comfort knowing that the brand is this strong, <laughs> And that these yeah. guys are going to go to the league, and Zion and RJ and Cam and Brandon Ingram and Jason Tatum and you know even JJ Redick, uh, he's really these guys are accomplishing enough where 
there's going to be that that residue of um, this brotherhood, this thing uh, that that will outlive Shashevsky's tenure in a way that a program like UNLV wasn't able to do um, when when things were different. And there's no reason the UNLV should have been able to do it back then. So I think there is there really is something going on with these the the volume of players that have gone passed through Duke in this one and done very short era the last five years. I mean, the vastness of it, the the breadth of it beyond, and I'm even just talking, I'm talking about beyond on the court stardom. The fact that this is permeated every corner, right? There are, the Duke coaching tree now features top five NBA coaches, right? Like Quinn Snyder is firmly established as one of the most gifted young coaches in the NBA. Um, he'll be a perennial coach of the year candidate as long as that team, you know, has, has two of the stars that it has. You know, you know, the front office, right? Like the fact that Trajan, I, you know, the fact that Elton Brand is the general manager, it's, it's incredible. I mean, first of all, who, it's, it's funny to think, go back in time to that, to that class, that team, and say, okay, in 2018, 20 years from now, one of these guys is going to be a general manager of an NBA team. You could ask 100 people on Duke's campus, and every single one of them would be like, oh, Shane Battier. Obviously, it's going to be Shane Battier. And then if you gave him Shane Battier was going to be uh, a senator or the president. Yeah, something. And, <laughs> but yeah, and who, who was destined for, like, life as an executive, uh, you, you would have thought Battier for sure. Battier, absolutely. Um and, and, you know, I mean, Trajan was a different recruiting class, but like, but like, you know, from that, you know, like that, that first, what, that, that's the team that lost to UConn. You know, Trajan was always the bright cerebral pre-med type. Okay, maybe he's going to, you know, you yeah. know, Elton, don't get me wrong, Elton is, was always a very, very smart guy, but I just didn't, didn't imagine, never imagined him even being interested in, in being an executive and, 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 well, not he any, didn't either. I mean, I just heard, heard him interview well, a few times because he took the job. He did not have designs on this, uh, you know. He, when the 76ers played the Clippers a few days after, a week or two after he was announced, uh, Corey Maggette, who we talked about on the Best Freshman podcast, uh, and played with Brand on that 99 team, Corey Maggette's calling the, uh, calling the games for the, uh, for yeah, the Clippers. Yeah, for the Clippers now, yeah. Yeah, which, you know, it was cool to see. He looks great still. Uh, it looks like he's step on the court. But, uh, they, they were in Philly and Brand went on and they, they talked. Uh, for, I don't know, the better part of a quarter, Elton was on the, the thing and they were like, when did this happen? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> you know it, it wasn't something he planned to do, but he got, he got pretty involved with the Sixers. You know, they brought him back twice. You know, Elton Brand is the, and this will never happen again probably, he was amnestied by the Sixers. They signed him to like a max, uh, close to a max deal, uh, right after, you know, after he left the Clippers, but he had some injuries and he ended up not being able to be as good for them. And he ended up mm-hmm. amnestying him, which is cutting him and like stringing out his Stressing, yeah, applications. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, they brought him back as like a, out of retirement as a veteran, uh, to kind of mentor guys like Julia Loca for, mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 and he, he spent a season playing for the Sixers. He was in the next year's training camp and he got involved enough that I think he, um, he liked, he liked being around the people. He liked the people in the front office as well. And they, they, and he was living in the area 
and they offered him this this role with the G League team. So he spends one year being the GM for the G League, and then this Colangelo craziness happens with the burner accounts, mm-hmm. and they're looking for someone, you know, someone new, and it turns out to be him. I mean, but also family. family, but also family, right? So that's perfect, right? He's brand new, but he's also family. Can, yeah, they wanted to, yeah. they liked they liked the guys they had in place for the front office. Brett Brown yeah. as the coach wanted to be yeah. wanted to keep those working relationships going and have some some power. Uh, frankly, I think didn't want to do the GM responsibilities like he he was assigned this summer. But you know it all worked out and um, it's pretty cool. He, he gets a lot of credit for pulling off his Jimmy Butler deal. Uh, and we could talk about Jimmy Butler because I love the Sixers. I could talk about the Sixers for half an hour, but. Why don't we do what we plan to do and go around the NBA and see how all yeah. the guys are doing in this young season? Um, should we do the big, the the good ones first? Or should we knock out yeah. the, the little fish? Yeah, yeah. Let's do let's do the let's 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 do the big ones first. I mean, you know, it, I, I don't I don't think just you know some, from a macro perspective, there's too many tremendous surprises. Um, we actually you know, don't have that many players playing at a super high level in the NBA right now. From Duke. yeah. Uh, the biggest, the biggest sort of established guys that have the biggest roles on their team, I think, are Jason Tatum, Brandon Ingram, J.J. Redick, yeah, Jabari Parker, and Rodney Hood are sort of after that. And then there's Wendell Carter, who's starting as a as a rookie. And those are the guys, right? Um, Justice, yeah, but Justice, um, who's sort of justicing along. Um, um, and then oh, the Bagley. Bagley is yeah, the, yeah, the new guys, yeah, yeah, the, the new guys. Um, so, you know, yeah, well, I, let's start I, with the old guys, the old, the old good guys first before we get into last year's, this year's rookies. Um, Jason Tatum, Brandon Ingram. I mean, are they two are young stars? Two young stars who, uh, you know, are expected to be the focal points of near-term dynasties, right? In many ways. Um, and off to their teams anywhere off to mixed starts. Ingram off to an awesome start in the sense that he got into a fist fight and got suspended four games, which I kind of loved because Ingram is <laughs> such a such a low key, uh, quiet guy that um, um, I actually wrote about this for the Guardian that I was delighted to see Ingram so into it and so fiery. Um, he's going to have to be that guy to be LeBron's number two. Um, and, you know, he is, I mean, Ingram is probably the most fascinating of the Duke diaspora right now just because of the importance of the role that he is being expected to grow into. Um, yes, this is his third year in the NBA. He's in a very interesting situation with LeBron coming to the Lakers. It's his third season. He just turned 21. Last year, he averaged 16 points a game, shot 39% from three on the low volume. This year, he's shooting the same volume, shooting uh, not as well so far, 35%, averaging 15 a game. Um, you know, the big question is, is he going to step up and become, you know, a really good NBA player and the number two guy to LeBron there over the next few years? Is he going to sort of retreat retreat to more of a role player. We don't know what's going to happen with this like Lakers team. they got a mix of these young guns and also these crazy old veterans like Rondo and JaVale McGee. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think is going to happen with Ingram? You know, I know he's 
I am a big, 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 big Brandon Ingram believer. Um, I have always been. Um, he was Wiggins, right? That was he was the Wiggins year. No, was, which no, year was no, he? No. Uh, he was the Ben Simmons. He was, he was the number two pick. Some people kind of thought maybe he'd go one, but it was pretty right. pretty decent. Pretty clear. For and, and, he was number and two look, pick. Nobody's gonna yeah, and that 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 went as it should. I'm not going. I'm not going to suggest that that that, that he should have been the number one pick. But I really like him. I think he's a fantastically versatile basketball player. And I also just one of the things that we know about him from Duke is the guy's a relentless worker. He's going to be as good as he can possibly be. He will get everything out of himself, especially now that LeBron is there. He's exactly the kind of personality and guy LeBron will like, but he's being cast in the role as LeBron's Robin, and the last two guys to have that job were Dwayne Wade, who is a veteran who already had a ring, and Kyrie Irving, who was further into his career than Brandon Ingram is right now. I think Kyrie Irving is in his fifth or sixth season already. And this is Kyrie Irving. Is, is Ingram is a young player. Will LeBron sort of reject him in his sort of passive-aggressive way? Or will he will he support him and then lift him up? I mean, he sort of might need that over the next few years. He might need more support than, than he used to need. I uh, think, you know, I think, I think LeBron's, you know, moods are um, – I don't foresee a problem with him and Brandon Ingram. I mean, what do I know? But the, but LeBron is Brandon Ingram is the kind of guy that LeBron will like. I, I I remember when people were worried about Lonzo Ball because everybody assumed that Lonzo was like his father. By the way, have we heard Lavar Ball's name this year? Remember him? Uh, not much. Is, not much. Is he in witness protection or something like that? Remember I think how with his sons overseas, he's trying well, to figure out his role on the planet. Remember how? Remember how there was no way LeBron was going to come to the Lakers because he would never want to put up with Lebar Ball. Like like a, that's like that's that's like saying that a tick is going to keep a horse from going outside. Like it's 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 it was never it was ludicrous. And also, I you know I kind of think LeBron is going to really like playing with Lonzo Ball because Lonzo Ball is really good. Um, but just the question is, is Brandon Ingram really a two for LeBron, or is he more? Is, is he better cast as Chris Bosh? Is he better cast as Kevin Love? I'm not saying that he's like those guys as players. He's very different from those players. But is he better suited to being your third option, and now LeBron still needs a second option? Um, that's, yeah, that's he's, he's, he's going to wind up with a very interesting career in L.A., and the first – Basically, the first half of his career, if he stays there, is going to be in this LeBron era. And it's unclear how successful this LeBron era is going to be or not. You know, they're off to a slow start, but they're likely to make the playoffs this year. And Ingram is likely to play play playoff basketball, which would be great. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and then the second half of his career is going to be what happens after LeBron leaves L.A. and he gets too old and retires in three, four, five years. And, uh Ingram's set up to have a very fascinating career, very high upside potential. I could see him becoming more of kind of a secondary player, secondary good player. But yeah. it's very clear he's going to be a good player in the NBA. You know, he yeah. already is. Yeah, he already is. Um, and, you know, Kyrie is having an interesting season so far because I think Boston is not gelling the way people hoped. Um, I, watched, um, I watched the fourth quarter last night. They played um, – 
Yeah, Washington. talk to me about Boston, because I know you watch a lot of Boston Celtics basketball. Kyrie and Jason Tatum are both starting. Yeah, uh, I mean, Jason Tatum is incredible. I mean, it's one of those weird things where Jason Tatum came into this loaded veteran squad last year, and by the end of the season, he was probably their best player. And Partly because Kyrie he, was out. And, and yeah, yes, that's definitely in part because Kyrie was out. And but, Gordon Hayward. But and sure. Gordon Hayward was out. But now Gordon Hayward is is not really close to his level yet. Um, we can assume that he will over the course of the year, but right now he really isn't. He's not playing very well at all. So let me give and you the Ky- stats real fast on these guys. Uh, I'll just give the stats for each guy we go through just to give the update to everybody. Uh, Jason Tatum averaging 16 a game this year. Uh, shooting 38% from three. Last year he shot an otherworldly 43% from three, which is unpredictable. He didn't shoot that well at Duke. Uh, you know, he's rebounding better. He had five rebounds a game last year. This year, seven in only an additional couple minutes of play. He's more involved in the offense, essentially, is more usage. Uh, his assists are up to two and a half a game. He's still active uh, on the defensive end. And Kyrie, uh, Kyrie back from injury, not not quite in uh, midseason form yet. Twenty one a game, uh, five assists. He's never been a huge assist guy, uh, but he is shooting pretty well from the field. He's shooting forty percent from three, uh, and the Celtics are just not not performing. I mean, people thought they might win sixty games, and they still might, but they're um, little lackluster. They're they're seventh or eighth in the conference right now, record wise. Yeah, they've been um, surprisingly – they've been disappointing so far. I mean, I think that that's – you know, um, I don't really think there's much other way to put it. I mean, they've been a little disappointing. And some of that, I think, was um, inevitable, right? They were a team that made a very surprising run in the playoffs last year, which meant that a lot of young players got a lot of minutes that they are not getting now because Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, you know, who are two all-stars, are, 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 are back in the lineup. And there's inevitably going to be people who are getting less playing time than they want. And I think that the ego thing is the thing that we tend to, to default to. Oh, people are going to be unhappy, blah, 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 blah. And I don't get the sense that people are unhappy necessarily in, in, in Boston. I just think it's different. Right, it just means that you your roles are different, your rotations are different, you your place in the offense is different, and everybody's feeling that out right now. And you can definitely see that challenge. Um, like last night, I watched the fourth quarter. Um, the Celtics were in 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 Portland, and Portland by the way was playing playing great this year. Um, everybody kind of written them off. They were like the team everybody thought was going to collapse in the West, and they are lying along. So this is a really good team with a really good home court advantage. But and, 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 and the Celtics were down by about six for most of the fourth quarter. But watching it was the first time that I got a little concerned about the Celtics because Kyrie Irving took every shot. Every shot. And he was not passing the other four guys on the floor who are all very, very, very accomplished NBA scorers were just standing there. And I don't know if that's Kyrie just trying to work himself back into shape, get his legs underneath him, take some shots. All of them know these games don't really matter, and they want him to get himself back. I don't know. It kind of just looked like Kyrie being Kyrie. And 
if that's the case, if Kyrie's just taking it over at the end of games and hogging, using up all, you know, seven out of eight possessions, seven out of nine possessions, yeah, there's going to be a problem soon. There's going to be a problem soon. And so I'm a little worried about that team, but I also just kind of think they'll – I mostly think they'll figure it out. Yeah, I mean, Kyrie Kyrie tends to become a volume shooter, uh, you know, when he feels like the team needs it. But um, but it is sort of one of the characteristics of his game that that can be sort of tough for teammates to swallow. And yeah, this team's it, never going to need it. You know what I mean? That's right? the thing. That's yeah, the thing. this team's never going to need that. This team is very well, very rarely going to need Right? He played with LeBron, and he he had games where he scored in the 40s in the playoffs. So yeah, I think I think he's he's used to that being his role, like to occasionally do that. Not every game. But he had, you know, he scored 39 the game before, yeah, uh, yeah, against Phoenix, and he scored 31 the game before that, and he was probably feeling himself. So I don't know. Uh, they've been on a, a long road trip, so I think, you know, it's a it's a long season. I think he and and he'll be fine uh, there. You know, it's interesting that they were they seemed better last year. Really, Gordon Hayward's the guy who who looks like he's maybe not not as good at basketball right now as as he as everybody would expect. Uh, yeah. And he's playing a lot of minutes, and, you know, I think they'll all get better. It'll be an interesting season. So for Duke fans, it's a great watch. It's, uh, you should be able to end up, again, watching meaningful playoff basketball from two of our sort of favorite heroes uh, as they try to compete with these new beasts in the East. The Bucks, yeah. the Raptors, and now the Sixers are all kind of loaded, and uh, it should be the East. East playoffs should really be something this year. Really fun, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, the other guy I think is the, the only other guy playing really important minutes for a very good team on a consistent basis uh, from Duke, you know, is J.J. Redick. Um, yeah. And, you know, we're still talking about J.J. Redick. Uh, and he, in a way, he's playing – he's coming off the bench for the Sixers because they want to give Marco Fultz some confidence reps. Uh, but he's playing just as many yeah. minutes, actually more minutes than he played last year as a starter. He's playing every crunch time minute. He's scoring more than he's ever scored. I mean, he's 34, uh, 34 and a half, and he's scoring more points per game than he has in his entire NBA career this season so far. 17 and a half a game, shooting a little less uh, high percentage from three-point range so far. So it leads you to believe that he could be scoring more. Um, and he's just very involved. Now, the Sixers' offense uh, was relying on him for shot creation, and it's not like he's breaking guys down off the dribble, but the, the gravity of his presence on the offensive end, uh, people can't leave him when he, he's constantly moving, and he draws multiple defenders towards him with his gravity, and it opens up things for Embiid, for Ben Simmons. Uh, he's really He's really become... He'd become this, uh, you know, center point for the Sixers' offense in a way, even more than he was last year. It's been really interesting to see, but, you know, Jimmy Butler going to the Sixers now is going to take some of that pressure off where he can probably become back, go back towards sort of a more comfortable role. He's still going to have that effect on the team's offense, um, but... You know, I think I think I think uh, Jimmy Butler's presence on the Sixers is going to be good for Redick. It's going to be good for the Sixers' offense, obviously. Um, so, 
you know, Reddick's also got this podcast, and he's yeah. got this presence, uh, and he's been making headlines uh, for some things he probably didn't want to be. But uh, how interesting is it that J.J. Reddick is more prominent than ever on the scene at his age? I mean, he's he works so hard. He's always – every day of his life is the best shape he's ever been in in his life now. You know what I mean? It's like he just keeps getting more – he just keeps getting more and more fit. Um, everybody likes him, right? Um, and I, I think, he, I think, he, I think he, well, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, God, that was just like, you know, what a bummer. Um, it, it, <laughs> good intentions going awry, right? It's, um, I think that he is in an interesting spot now. Um, I, in some ways, I think the arrival of Jimmy Butler will make things easier on him. He doesn't have to be the, you know, the, the sort of one guy who can run around and score um, from anywhere beyond the, you know, beyond the paint. Um, on the other hand, they just traded away the only other three-point shooters on the team and added a guy who's, you know, for as many scoring talents, is not a particularly good three-point shooter. He is now the only good long-distance shooter on the team. Um, and that well, let, is, let, well that, 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 I guess the only high, high-profile, really good three-point shooter. Uh, that, that, uh, were, you were, you, you, oh, come on, you were not about to say Landry Shamit, were you? So here's what I, here's what I really love about J.J. Redick for the 76ers is he has taken this guy, Landry Shamit, who was a rookie, you know, played at, started at Wichita State last year, was really a point guard, a combo one-two. And shot a very high percentage of Sixers. Everyone thought they reached for him late in the first round uh, in last year's draft. And he's come out and playing really well, really confident. He looks like J.J. Redick, you know, in terms of the way he shoots the ball. The shot looks pure. And you can just see J.J. rooting him on from the sideline when J.J.'s out and he's in. They actually both started the last game with Covington and Sharich gone. Uh, I don't, you know, there is one spot in the starting lineup that's open, even if Fultz continues to start. And, yeah, it'll probably um, be, it'll probably be Shamit until Chandler comes back, until Wilson Chandler comes back, right? But, well, Wilson uh, Chandler's playing the night, but he's on a minutes restriction. I actually think, oh, okay. I think Shamit might start because Reddick seems to want to come off the bench now and continue the role. He's like, he's a, he's sort of a creature of routine, as he talks about so often on his podcast. Right. But there's a well, chance he may, he may end up starting uh, anyways for this team. Uh, and maybe I, Jimmy I, Butler doesn't want Marco Fultz to start. I don't well, know. I don't think Jimmy. I don't think the Sixers are starting Markel Fultz and Landry Shamit in their backcourt. Like I, I definitely don't see that happening. And I, you know, look. I mean, I think you just underscored yeah, I my. Gonna, gonna start. I think yeah, I think Redick is going to start, and you just underscored my 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 worry right there is for the team, and not just for Redick, which is once you get past. Those four guys, the names get frightening, right? I mean, I look, Landry Shamit is a nice player. He's also 12 games into his NBA career, and sure. you're talking about him as, as, as Philly's fifth starter. You know, Boston is bringing Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier off the bench. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's, well, that's, yeah, that's the that's issue scary. with the Sixers. Their depth versus Celtics, that, that is the issue. And particularly uh, a shooting guard, right? And particularly at shooting and long-distance shooting, right? They got rid of Covington, and Covington's exactly the kind of guy they need. But I think there's going to be a buyout market, a trade deadline yes. market. I think you'll yes. see the Sixers. Like last year, they picked up Ilyasova and Bill and 
Bellinelli, like, uh, for the stretch. Uh, I think that's likely to happen again. I think Kyle Korver might end up coming back to the Sixers. Uh, yeah, I mean that's the thing. I keep I keep I keep hearing about Kyle Korver. Kyle Korver is no solution. Yeah, or right? someone like Korver that. Just gets, yeah, yeah. yeah, and maybe and maybe they'll find that guy. But right now, um, and look, this is as you mentioned, this is a very competitive East. The, the Sixers are fighting for serious. You know, this is they are looking staring straight at a, at a at a road series in the second round, which is not, I think, what they expected going into the series. For this season, and the Sixers JJ have Redick. an odyssey in front of them, and, and JJ yeah. Reddick's a big part of it. A big part it's of that. I mean, really that's what cool I mean. to see Reddick at so this good. age. Finally, I mean, with the Clippers, he was he was important, but he was completely subjugated. Like he just kind of stood in the corner a lot, um, and like tried not to get killed on defense. And now he, he's stepping up into the biggest role he's ever had at his age. And we've been Reddick fans, you know, for 15 I years. So it's really. It's really cool to see. Uh, yeah. We got to get through this list here because we're already over an hour. <laughs> yeah, let's move quick. I guess we don't have to go through every single player. Um, let me just run down the list and how people are doing. Quinn Cook got a start the other night for Golden State, kind of like last year, subbing for for Steph Curry and played really well. He's he's cemented his role there as a as a rotation player on on one of the all time great teams. And two years ago he was in the G League. And last year, yeah. at the beginning of the year, he was in the G League. So. He's the other guy playing the, the most meaningful minutes in the NBA, uh, and likely we'll get to see him play in the playoffs, and it's pretty pretty fantastic. Seth Curry is uh, playing, you know, playing some minutes for – he's on that Portland team, right? Yeah, yeah, he's in Portland now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, so, you know, he's, having, he's doing his 15 minutes and scoring some points for various Western Conference teams, which is what he's been doing for a couple years now. God bless him. Um, yeah, uh, so that that's fantastic, and you know his brother is still Steph Curry. Uh, Seth has had some injury issues, and may may step up into a, you know a more effective role player uh, this year, like he was the previous few years. Last year he missed the whole season, so it's good to see him back on the court. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I'll run through the little guys, and we'll get to the last couple of big ones. Luke Kennard, to check in with him, he's out with a shoulder sprain. He's yeah, he's been a couple yeah, of games this season. This he was in three games and he played 14 minutes in each of those games. He's, his percentages look okay, but he's he's not going to be a giant player on this Pistons team. The Pistons yeah, yeah. One one thing we don't want to competitive. Yeah, yeah. We don't really want to linger too much on Luke Kennard, but one thing I would say about him is that he, he may, his his fortunes may have taken a bit of a bad turn because he was a Stan Van Gundy lottery pick. Stan Van Gundy is gone. There's a new coach there. Who knows what yeah. that coach thinks of Kennard? They've got Bert Griffin there now. They are expecting to win now um, and make the playoffs now. It, it's possible that Kennard's year may not go so well. It doesn't necessarily mean there's a, a big issue with his career, but I think near term, he, you know, this year may not be great for him. Yeah, that, that's that's fair. I mean, Dwayne Casey values two-way players. He was the coach of the Raptors. Yeah, yeah, and that is not year. Luke. That is Luke is not that yet, that's for sure, and may or may not be capable of that. Yeah, he may, but, he may never be that, yeah. But uh, uh, this, today's NBA, three-point shooting is valued, and I think there is a role for him on this team, and, and we could see him playing in the playoffs as sort of a... a you and I have always thought, you and I have always thought that, that Luke Kennard has a real chance to have a J.J. Redick trajectory to his career because he's such a gifted scorer in a lot of ways, but he's going to need to build his body and build his skill and prove himself and linger around, and it may take a while. Yeah. But by the time a guy like Luke Kennard is 30-31, he's got such a bag of tricks 
that mm-hmm. I just think, yeah, I think he's going to be fine, but I don't think it's going to be a quick thing. Yeah, Tyus Jones, uh, to check in on him, he's still lingering as like a, <clears throat> a bench player, but he's a little less lingering than he used to be. He's getting more regular minutes. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, he's yeah, done well with his minutes stats in the past year or two, and it's it, he's going to be a free agent after this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a team that just flipped the table, right? That That is basically a team of free agents, including the coach, um, who, you know, is probably not going to be there for very long. So people seem to like Tyus. He's a competitive, solid, winning basketball player. He's not going to be an all-star. He'll probably play a lot this year because – Plays decent amount. Unfortunately, yeah. Derek Rose is like stepping up, and yeah, unfortunately uh, for him, Derek Rose. Unfortunately for him. Actually, yeah, unfortunately uh, for all of us, quite honestly, unfortunately for all of us, Derek Rose is stepping up. Um, no man, it's nice to see. Actually, come on. Uh, it would be nice to. See, we can get into this offline, but it would be nice to see if Derek Rose probably didn't gang rape a woman um, and then get away with it. But well, um, I just mean from a basketball perspective. Yes, from a basketball yeah, yeah. standpoint, yes, I, I agree. It's always nice to see someone put his career back together. The problem is he's doing it at the expense of maybe winning basketball games. I, I think Tyus Jones would probably be better for them to win. It's but you know Tibbs is weird, right? Tibbs loves him. Yeah, yeah. Tibbs has his guys. They signed Luol Deng. <laughs> Luol Deng and the other dude. I mean, it's hard to believe he's still in the NBA. We haven't seen him play basketball in a while, or not much. Uh, he was in the Lakers last year, so he still exists. And he made he made some of our lists. Uh, but we won't linger on him. Uh, the Pelicans have both Frank Jackson, Angelo Okafor, and I don't want to linger on Okafor, but he's playing eight minutes a game. He's getting into 60%, 70% of the game. He actually got a start, I believe, in one of the games Anthony Davis was out, but didn't play well. His plus-minus numbers continue to be awful, but he is scoring four points and rebounding two and a half uh, per game, which are very good 36-minute stats. And those among us who still think Okafor is getting screwed by the NBA system, uh, he, his per 36 numbers are, are decent. Uh, and Frank Jackson is in the rotation when he's healthy. Uh, he's been a little nicked up. So is Okafor. And uh, he's... He's three of eight in three-point range for what that's Yeah, that's it. And Frank Jackson has a chance because that's a very oh, thin yeah. backcourt. Very thin backcourt, so he's going to get some opportunities. You know, well, you and I have always felt that Okafor, you know, is miscast for his era, but in a very offensive-minded NBA, I don't see why Jaleel Okafor, if he gets his head right, can't be a very useful sort of Ennis Cantery second-unit scorer, um, which is, you know, what – the Pelicans are going to want for him, right? They've got a very loaded front court. They don't. They don't. <laughs> they don't need him to start. Um, it's encouraging. They're, they're giving him. Yeah. They're giving him some minutes on the regular and giving him some looks. So I imagine he's doing well in practice, well enough to justify that. Um, you know, throw those plus minus numbers. Uh, that are a big issue with his defense. Uh, um, Mason and Miles Plumlee, I don't think we need to spend much time on. They're both in the league. They're both still being productive. Uh, Mason's on a really good Nuggets team. Yeah. Um, and Miles is on a really bad Hawks team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they're both, they both exist in the league and not, not, not so much has changed there. And it, you know, I'm glad they're both in the league and doing well and making a living. Um, and Mason, Mason, He's a pretty good player, I still think. He's just behind a lot of other really good players. 
Uh, Lance Thomas, I wanted to shout out, uh, was starting games for the Knicks and playing Bill. Lance Thomasy basketball and, you know, a leader on that team and, uh, got, got injured and now he's out for four to six weeks, I think. Uh, back injury? Uh, I can't remember what he injured and much as I love Lance and his ability to knock down <laughs> that corner three. Um, as a Knicks fan, um, as someone who watches a lot of New York area basketball, uh, I'd like to watch more Kevin Knox, please, and a little bit less Lance Thomas. So I'm I'm okay with it. Sorry, Lance. Is he the most senior Nick? He's been on the team five years now. He might. Be. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He definitely is. He definitely yeah, I mean, this guy's had a stable NBA career. This is his ninth season in the, in the league. I can't uh, believe he's starting games. It's amazing. I would not guess this. Yeah. And while he played, he was shooting 37.5% from – I'm sorry, that was a two-point range. He was only shooting 29% from three. He shot 40% forty percent of the last three years, though. So he's, actually, he was off to a very slow shooting start. Yeah, up, yeah, yeah. Putting up very, very few numbers. Uh, but it was, it's just amazing every time I see him in an NBA starting lineup because uh, I never thought he would get there. See, he, um, earned back, he earned back that jewelry loan. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, Austin Rivers is on that shambles of a Wizards team. Uh, that's enough said about Austin Rivers. Yeah, that's enough said about Austin Rivers. You know, obviously contributing to the chemistry there, <laughs> and uh, but really can't blame him. Uh, yeah, I don't think we can blame this one on him. Um, yeah, yeah, it was broken before he got there. Yeah, he's scoring seven points a game, uh, and he's still only 26 years old, which is amazing. Feels like he mm-hmm. played at Duke 15 years ago. Um, Rodney Hood, Jabari Parker, uh, two guys playing minutes for very, very, maybe the two worst teams in basketball. Mm-hmm. Jabari getting paid a lot more to do it. Rodney Hood, I know you used to feel good about and maybe not so much anymore, but he's, he's playing minutes. He's scoring double figures, 12.9 a game. Um, uh, his shooting percentages are decent, 38% from three. Nobody was interested in him in, in the in the off season. He didn't get any money really to play basketball this year. Not not that much at least. Uh, what do you think? Is he, can he salvage this? He's still only twenty six. Just turned twenty six. Yeah, I mean, I I was briefly up on Rodney Hood mostly because I I I I, I didn't realize that he was going to have an NBA career at all. Um, and and then he turned into a, a, a really good scorer for a little while. It turns out that he's fragile. Um, as a human being, um, and just isn't 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 very tough, um, and 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 I think that that's I think that's why um, nobody wanted him. I'm sure him being thrown into the LeBron den was probably not the best thing for his psychology. Um, although one of the interesting things about him is that once he gets on the floor, he actually tends to play pretty well. I remember that they, when they finally played him in the finals against Golden State, he actually was pretty effective. Um, he, he can shoot all, the ball, you know. Yeah, for all the deer, the yeah, he can really shoot. For, so for he all the deer in the headlights expectations yeah. or, or 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 reputation that he seems to have, um, you know, he he gets out there and shoots. Um, he shoots the ball and doesn't, he doesn't turn it over, but he doesn't contribute in a big way otherwise. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So all right, let's get through this. <laughs> uh, well, let's get to the freshman. We've got our freshman, right? Oh, Jabari. Jabari. I'm waiting for the for the for the rookie class, but yeah, Jabari. Uh, you know, Jabari's being Jabari, not playing great defense, putting up some points now, getting some starts on the Bulls. Um, 
which brings us to uh, him playing alongside Wendell Carter. Uh, Jamar, yeah. by the way, scoring 14 a game in uh, 30 minutes a game. So whether he's starting or not, he's getting minutes. They're paying him a lot of money. And um, he's shooting 26% from three-point range, but it's not stopping him from shooting. I'm done with Jabari. I was done with Jabari the moment Jabari graduated, quite honestly. Um, but um, I mean, at this point, I just, I just hope he doesn't get in Wendell's way. You know what I mean? Like, Wendell is, uh, I think, what, he, what we thought he was going to be um, coming out, which is probably the best, best of the guys on that team, the best NBA player, especially right away. He has been. He's a good player on a team that doesn't have many good players. Um, you know, Zach he's playing well up and down the court. He's blocking yeah, up and down. Two, yeah. over two shots a game. His, his game has translated to the NBA. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's scoring nearly as many points as Jabari in quite a few, in considerably fewer minutes, I believe. I think he's playing like twenty versus thirty for Jabari. Um, uh, Jabari's scoring more points per minute, but that that's not that apt a comparison. The well, more interesting comparison is him against Bagley. Like, yeah, but, yeah. But Carter's shooting forty-eight percent from the field. He's you know got seven and seven point seven rebounds in twenty-six minutes a game. His per thirty-six numbers are something like you know fifteen, sixteen points, and you know eleven rebounds. Uh, he's not like he's not going crazy or anything, but he's had a few big games. And the talk around the league, or at least around the Twitterverse, is that you know this nineteen-year-old can play ball. Yeah. And uh, he's going to be a, a good player in the league for a long time. I don't know if he's going to be a great player, but he's going to be a good player. I think it's a pretty safe bet. Well, uh, and it's, you know, you can I'm really happy for him. Yeah, you can look at the you can look at the Bulls and see see what they're trying to do. I think. I mean, you know, him and Lowry Markkinen is a, is a, is a really impressive front court, really promising front court. They go; those guys can score a lot. They can play D. Um, you know, Levine and Jabari are big scorers and maybe two of the worst defenders in the NBA. Um, but you can see how they could complement a lineup like that. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're big, you know, that yeah. they got a lot of young talent and I, I think it's good to see them building around Wendell and, and Mark and I think that that's a, that's like a real core. That's a real I am I am uh, strongly rooting against the Bulls this year. I'd like to see them with a bottom three or four record in the league. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I would love to see R.J. Barrett or Zion or one of these other guys from Duke go there and have a Bulls team I can watch on League Pass and and really root for. I mean, if you could if you could replace Levine or or um, well, look, I think Levine's going to be there. He's he's really. Playing well. No, but I mean, but I mean, just like if, you know, offense, but, no. but if you could, like, I would love for Levine or Jabari Parker to be turned into one of those two guys. You know what I mean? That that would make them such a much more interesting team because Levine is a very good score. He's very exciting. Um, yeah. He's probably fine, but if he's on the court with Jabari Parker, it's a disaster. So I would, I mean, I just, I just don't like Jabari. Yeah. Right now, it's looking more likely that the Cleveland or Phoenix will, will wind up with Zion and RJ. But the Bulls are only a few games ahead of that that pace. The Knicks are in there as well, if they can keep Porzingis from coming back. Um, and the Hawks. Uh, okay. So, Wendell is doing great. Everybody should, should should tune in and watch him play, and we'll keep an eye on him. I think he's going to get better and better as he gets more yeah. comfortable. Uh, the other freshmen uh, – I'm sorry, the other rookies, 
the other big one is playing a big role is uh, Bagley. Bagley yeah. Uh, yeah. was drafted the highest. He's you know, scoring 12 a game, six rebounds in 22 minutes. He's shooting 50% from the floor. He's shooting 50% from three-point range. Oh, Only not really taking any. Not, not really taking any. Not, not taking any. Taking like one, one a game. The free throw line, which belies the, the good three-point shooting, just like a Duke. Uh, he's playing for a second unit on the Kings team. He's not starting. The Kings starting lineup is doing really well. The Kings are overperforming, yeah. but their bench unit is not playing well. Bagley sort of is a – Giles gets some minutes alongside him. Yeah. Um, Although Harry Giles, Giles is on that Giles, team they, as well. Harry Giles, they just sent down – they actually just sent him down to their GE team so he could play like 30 or 40 minutes a game. But, yeah, he um, wasn't doing – He wasn't doing that. I mean, I would, here's what I would say about Bagley right now. He's kind of doing what we thought we, he would be doing as a rookie. He's putting up counting stats, and he's not a good NBA player right now. Right, he's he is he is not helping you win games when he's on the floor right now. That doesn't mean he's a bad player. Doesn't mean he's going to have a bad career. I think he's a very good player. He's going to have a very good career right now, though. He's not helping the Kings win. Um, he's scoring a lot. He's a decent, a good rebounder for his for his size and ability to, you know, second jump and that sort of thing. He's blocking he's, more shots. On blocking more shots. Oh, that's good. Small that's, I didn't know that. But you know, he's a, you might expect, but he just doesn't know where to yeah. go yet. He's, he doesn't he doesn't know how to really play basketball yet, and he's one of the youngest guys in the league. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that there is a tendency, and we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it to just make such snap decisions on these guys. I even think this is the case with poor Mel, Mark Fultz, who is still, for all intents and purposes, as far as I'm concerned, basically a rookie, and yeah. still so young. And these guys are having their fates sealed or made up uh, careers decided upon um, before they've even really learned how to play, Marvin Bagley should be a bad NBA player right now. He should be. It's it's not yeah, – it, it shouldn't be surprising. He's not that bad, actually. He's not and, that well, bad. But you know, you know what yeah. I mean. He's, 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 he's a below-average NBA player right now who, who does a lot of things that are very good that a lot of players in the NBA can't do, but is also doing so many things wrong that right now he's in that negative. That's fine. That's fine. It's the NBA. It should be working this way when you're barely 20 years old. But, you know, if, if that being said, since Bagley has done what we thought he would do coming into the NBA and Wendell Carter has been doing what we thought he would do, I'd sure rather have Wendell Carter at this point. Like, I think that he's – you're going to win games with Wendell Carter, and the jury's still out whether you'll win a lot of games with Marvin Bagley. We'll see. Yeah, you're talking about playing winning basketball and uh, – both sides of the court and all around, you know, efficiency and all these things. But uh, I think Bagley still has a lot of upside. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. obviously, obviously has a ton of upside. And what's cool is that some of his game has really translated. He was dominant at Duke in certain ways, and in those ways, he he looks really good in the NBA too. He's, he's yeah throwing down power dunks. He's offensive rebounding. Uh, you know, it's just he's he's. He's got to figure out the, the, the defensive end. He's, he's playing with a bunch of young guys who don't know what they're doing in that second unit as well. Yeah, it's like yeah. a, it's not a well-constructed second unit. But if you look at his plus-minus numbers, like every time I look in the box score and I see that he puts up some numbers, scores some points, I'm like, I scroll over to the – And then it's minus pl- eight, minus plus nine. Minus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you ever look yeah. at that, his team gets outscored by 5, 10, 15 points with him on the court. But 
more recently had a couple of nice pluses. And you have to be careful looking at individual game plus minuses because it might have nothing to do with him. You know, yeah. it just might be yeah. he's on this unit that's terrible. So uh, he's on the Sacramento yeah. Kings second unit, which traditionally has not been a good second unit, right? So yeah, but, and, you know, there's there's also you know to make one last point about Marvin. There's also the fact that he happens to be coming out in the midst of, you know, one of the greatest NBA rookie classes we've seen in, in ages. And, you know, and so um, the fact that he's – it's hard to score 12 points as a rookie in the NBA. The fact that oh, he's yeah. doing it is really impressive were it not for the fact that there's seven other rookies who are doing it this year, which never happens. But, but you know, ordinarily he'd be one of the two or three guys doing this and be like, wow, maybe Robin Bagley's the rookie of the year. This year – He's like, oh, well, is he even a good player? Well, sure. Let's give him the time. Let's give him some time. He's really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good point. He has, and he scored, in, uh, he had 20 points one game. He had 19 in another game, 18 in another. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's had some, some, some very impressive outings. So, uh, you know, I, I really don't have a lot negative to say about him. I haven't watched his games closely enough to, to criticize his defense specifically, but, you know, I'm aware it's an issue. I've seen some breakdowns. Uh, from guys who do know what they're talking about. Uh, the other guys, Trayvon Duvall, Gary Trent, Grayson Allen, basically uh, Trayvon's on a two-way, two-way contract. He hasn't played a minute. Gary Trent's only played seven minutes so far, um, but he's with the team, you know. Uh, Trayvon played three G League games and put up some decent numbers, so he's spending time with the uh, with the NBA team as well. So I think he's doing better. Than, uh, than expectations. He shot 45% from three in those three games, uh, 14.7 a game, four assists, 1.7 steals, still 55% from the free throw line. And uh, Grayson Allen, um, Grayson Allen is playing uh, limited minutes, uh, yeah. sort of eighth, ninth man off the bench. He actually started one game, um, played 27 minutes against Memphis, had nine points. Uh, I mentioned this to Peter, uh, but the most interesting thing that I see in Grayson Allen's numbers is that he's not putting any other stats up besides points. He's not. Mm-hmm. There's no blocks. There's no steals. Um, there aren't there aren't very many rebounds. A lot of zeros. <laughs> uh, so I'm afraid that some of his, you know, athletic advantages might not translate. But he's just getting his feet wet. So yeah. no judgment yeah, yet. Yeah. There. Yeah, he's playing for a real team. He's on a really good team, so he's you know when he's on the floor, all ain't coming to him. You know, like this is not this is not Marvin Bagley where uh, you know where Wendell Carter or anything like that. Um, yeah, he's supposed to be a shooter. Yeah, um, uh, and that's it. That's that's the look around the league. Um, I thought I'd also mention before we wrap up that uh, oh we didn't mention Justice Winslow who's. Playing pretty decent ball actually in Miami on yeah, Miami yeah, team is. finding itself. Um, but we've talked about him a few times on the pod before, so I think we need to get into justice in the NBA. Another um, another guy to just hold your stock on. Don't sell because it'll be worth it in the long run. I hope so. I'm rooting for him. He apparently his name was floating in in the uh, Jimmy Butler trade talks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the first offers was. Josh Richardson and Justice and uh, first rounder. For the um, I can't believe they turned that down. I still can't believe they turned that down. Oh my god! <laughs> oh well, god! They didn't know how good Josh Richardson was going to play. Ah, Josh Richardson before the season. No, they should have. Uh, they were watching the NBA. Yeah, he, he played well against the Sixers in the playoffs last year. 
Uh, two guys in the G League I thought I'd mention. Uh, Emil Jefferson. Uh, he's on a two-way contract with the Magic this year. Put up huge numbers in the G League last year. Uh, putting up big numbers in the G League this year in limited games, spending some time with the team. So he's in Lakeland, Florida. If anyone's in the area and wants to go see uh, the Lakeland Magic play, you'll, you'll see Emil put up 20 and 10 most likely if you go out. Yeah, Mike um, Stein has season tickets. <laughs> Shout out to Mike Stein. Uh, Matt Jones, uh, so I think Emil still has a real, real chance, a real likely Absolutely. chance. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think we'll have a career in the NBA. I do too. I do too. When you yeah. can, when you can make the right play, set the right pick, get a rebound, you can, you can have a career in the NBA if you can do all that really well and he can. Yeah. There's still a chance Quinn Cook and Emil end up with the best careers in the NBA out of uh, <laughs> the championship team from a couple of years ago, which is unexpected. Uh, that that even be a chance. Uh, and Matt Jones, who was on the podcast, uh, last year when he was, uh, just, just after the, uh, summer league, uh, still in the D League, played, uh, played all year in the G League last year, scored 10 a game, not eye-popping numbers. Uh, he's on the Stockton Kings, as I mentioned. He's, sco- he's only scoring six a game. He's not a high usage player in that team. So still rooting for Matt Jones. He's, um, putting in the work obviously and hopefully uh hopefully takes a leap at some point in the G League and you know winds up somewhere good at some point. Uh G League's a fine place to be too by the way. So that's an accomplishment. Um so that's it. Any uh, any last thoughts on Duke in the NBA? I mean Duke is just, uh, Duke is the NBA this year, man. I mean it's our games are our games are going to be Watched and treated and talked about like NBA games. It's going to be fun. People should get used to it. It's um, you know, I'm looking at the 20th, the, the game December 20th here against uh, Texas Tech at Madison Square Garden, and, and that is going to be a show. There are going to be some stars out at that game. You know what I mean? That is going to be a big time game. Don't miss that one. Every single game, I, I, every single game, just I, I'm having so much fun watching watching these guys, and it's only two games into the season. I hope I hope they're going to do well. I hope they're going to win almost all their games, right? I hope they dominate. I hope they win the ACC. But either way, whatever the results are, and I think they're going to be good. Uh, what I like, what I like, and what I'm excited about is how excited these guys are yeah, to play so college excited. basketball. Mm-hmm. How competitive they are, you know. And uh, I think they're going to work their hardest and do the, they're going to do their best. Uh, I didn't feel I didn't feel that way last year about the team as we've talked about. I didn't feel like they were really there to to kind of play winning basketball for the team. These guys yeah. obviously are interested in their own NBA stock, but they're also confident enough about it where it doesn't sort of doesn't sort of matter, you know? Yeah. They seem totally certain that this is all gonna take care of itself. So let's just go have a good time and kick everyone's ass. And and it's gonna it's I'm so excited. It's going to be really fun. And people are going to like us because they're going to be so much fun to root for. You know what I mean? It's not like people are going to hate Duke this year. They're going to love watching Zion. He, people are going to love him. I mean, this is our chance to make people actually like us for once. <laughs> yeah, the Zion has is, uh, got so much gravity to him. I mean, it, it's just it's hard not to smile watching him play. Um, there's a chance Duke, the Duke name taints him a little bit, but I don't think so. I think I think just he's going to be a, a viral worldwide sensation if he already isn't. And I know he sort of is. So thanks for coming on, Devin, and uh, hanging out and chatting with you. It's good to catch up. Always fun.
Uh, yeah. Uh, next week, Peter will be back, and uh, we'll talk about whatever chumps we're about to play. Who is the next game? <laughs> Who is the next game? That's going to be famous last words. Uh, I know we have the Maui Invitational coming up. In yeah. Pretty short order, but before then, we have uh, Eastern Michigan on Wednesday. And then we play San Diego State, right? We play San Diego State and Maui. Well, that's the first Maui game. So we got Eastern right. Michigan as sort of a you know stay warm game. Uh, Eastern Michigan did did beat us in the tournament, uh, unfortunately, a long time ago with our Boykins, right? Yeah. That was Eastern Michigan. Yeah. I remember watching that game at Damon's uh, Sports Bar and Grill. Damon's is gone, by the way. So long. Mm-hmm. No longer there in fifteen five hundred one. Thank God, but. Too many, too many hours wasted at that place. And then, yeah, the Maui Invitational should be should be really exciting over Thanksgiving. Give us something to do and talk about. Um, so yeah, all right, man. We'll go, Duke. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Talk to you all soon.